is the car dealer podcast driven by car gurus. You want the best return for your advertising budgets and car gurus piston heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market high quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. If you haven't listened before, we pick our favourite stories of the week and ask a guest to choose whose stories were best. Welcome back to James Baggett. He will be choosing the stories with me today. How are you, James? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. This week, our judge is automotive retail expert Mike Jones. Great to have you back, Mike. um, We've had an interesting couple of weeks with the Ukraine supply issues on top of existing supply issues and a slow start to March compared to the usual. What are you hearing from dealers at the moment? Uh, Afternoon and thanks very much for uh, for having me on. Um, I'm hearing... uh, yeah, lots of things with regards to dealers. There's a huge amount of change going on at the moment. They're um, um, they're battling almost against an awful lot of, of bad news and, and potential uh, supply disruption and, and, and changes coming through, but they're continuing to make a, a strong return. I think you're absolutely right with March. It's going to be slower than, certainly slower than historic. Even anecdotally, driving around, I'm still to see my first live 22 plate in the flesh on the roads, um, which normally isn't, isn't the case. I'm seeing them at dealerships, but, uh, but not out on the road. So, so no, I mean, dealers are in, a, um, are in a good place, but coping with, you know, the, the constant change that we have at the moment. Yeah, we were out at dealers this week doing some filming for an upcoming video. Um, and I, there were a few 22 plates on the forecourt ready to go out, but not very many. I mean, it, did, it definitely felt a little bit quieter than usual. I thought it was interesting what Chris Wiseman told us on last week's podcast, that a lot of people didn't really care about the 22 plate. They, they took delivery mm-hmm. of their cars in February and they just wanted them as soon as they arrived. And I think it's probably something to do with the fact that people are waiting longer for cars at the moment and they, they're not really bothered about what plate it's got on it. They just want the, the, the new car. So, yeah, I think there's, it's, it's going to be a weird month, isn't it, March? I, I, the, the, Ukraine, the Ukraine war is seriously causing problems now isn't it i've read a i've read a lot of stories this week about how it's interrupting supply of a number of parts and i think that's going to have a big knock-on impact what do you think to that mike yeah i agree i think wiring looms is one of the new uh, is the new yeah. semiconductor um uh, for, for this year sort of following on from covid uh, the previous years but no it just seems that supply um uh, will be uh, interrupted and i think as we've seen with any major crisis um uh, it takes a while for the brands to work out exactly how deep their supply chains are affected by whatever happens um uh, and i think we will you know continue to see a, 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 a slow trickle of new vehicle supply the one that i would expect um, on the basis it's quarter end uh, to have a bit of a roaring month would be tesla um you know they yeah. seem to register vehicles um uh, at, uh, at the quarter end so i would imagine and, and they have been less affected by the the, the chip crisis than, than others so i would imagine that um that they'll have a reasonable a reasonable march but i think it's you know the, the the current crisis and 
um, uh, and quite rightly so, is is gaining all the headlines and um, uh, and, and people are you know, sort of focusing on that. I think we'll have to wait and see as we go through the year as to how the sort of cost of living crisis plays out. We were you know, sort of thinking about a 7% inflation rate um, uh, as we hit through April. Well, in the nicest sense, God only knows where that's going to end up um, uh, once we've seen all the, the, the increased fuel costs come through. There was a piece in one of the papers I read this week about those um, those wiring looms. And I mean, manufacturers all over the world um, have lots of suppliers for these different parts, don't they? And they, they, they move that supply around on where they're going to get good deals. But what I was reading is actually those wiring looms are causing major issues because then in, in, in themselves, those parts have lots of different parts put together and they're actually put together in these factories in Ukraine. And, and it's that specialist knowledge that's quite hard to repeat in other factories around other, other supplier factories around the, around the world, which is why this is causing big issues. It's not simply a case of turning off that factory and turning one on over here. So I think this is gonna have quite a significant impact to the industry when it comes to production of new cars for some time. I mean, Mini seems to be particularly badly affected by it. They shut Cowley until the middle of March. And that's going to have a that's going to have a big knock-on impact with the supply of new cars. But again, there'll probably be some positivity when it comes to the used car market, won't there? Yeah, I mean, from a general consumer point of view, um, particularly now. Um, uh, we're seeing a, a lessening and verging on complete removal of restrictions, uh, COVID restrictions in, in, in the UK. People want to move around. They need to move around. And so the demand for personal mobility, the demand for cars is still very strong. Um, you know, the, the, all the dynamics we've seen in the, in the used car market have not, you know, the demand has been has held up phenomenally well. It's supply where we've had a problem and that's brought around the, the, the price increases that we've seen, which the dealers have have managed to um, uh, get a bit of margin increase in there as well as um, uh, as well as just a general consumer price increase. And of course, yeah. we've got um, dealers are going to be announcing their results in the coming months. And we've obviously had last week, I think it was, we had Virtue's estimate of, was it 75 million up? Yep. Am I making that up? Um, no. What do you think of that, Mike? Are we going to see lots of this the rest of the year? Oh, um, to, to my mind, the 21... Uh, year-end result is going to be the most profitable year that car dealers ever have. Um, uh, it, it was just a phenomenal year from a profit point of view. We had some, you know, yes, restricted new car supply, restric restricted used car volumes to a certain extent, but profit per unit just went through the roof mm -hmm. um, uh, on both new and used. There was no pre-regging, so there was no, well, not really any pre-regging, so there's no... Um, uh, in negative impact of, of that. People have even been able to make money out of selling their demonstrators, etc. And, and all during all that course of time, we've uh, we've had a tight control on costs. So, so no virtues numbers were were really strong. I would imagine when we get the final results out of the uh, the guys who've got the December year ends, um, uh, which are due uh, soon, they're going to hit record profitability levels as well. And then then you're going to see a steady trickle as the as the private businesses all file their accounts. What do you think? to the pressures that these businesses are going to face when it comes to repaying some of that government support they got last year. I mean, I think we've covered the topic of furlough quite extensively on the podcast and how that money actually ended up in the pockets of those employed by the businesses, not necessarily help the, help the businesses that claimed it, but that retail rates relief that they got went straight on the bottom line, didn't it? 
Yeah, I think the rate, I mean, the, there's a bit of, in, in when it hit the press, whatever it was a couple of weeks ago, um, there was a bit of a mismatching in that we've had a record 2021 dividends are being paid out on the back of that for the listed businesses and and then we'll compile all the support that was provided during 2020 predominantly and then into 2021 and compare that against things the the, the difficulty is that that wasn't the uh, that wasn't the rules when when things were were set out the rates relief i think is a is an interesting one i know a number of the businesses that have basically said for 2021 they're paying it back well, they have paid it back or they just weren't claiming it um but the furlough is is an interesting one because you know it, it it effectively replaced um uh, you know people getting unemployment payments um you know people who would otherwise have been made um uh, uh, had their jobs made redundant um and therefore would have gone on um uh to, you know onto the the unemployment support businesses kept them on and gave them the furlough money um, and that was just that was almost what business was asked to do um, mm. to, to not make those quick decisions to make people redundant not make the um, you know not cause an unemployment spike um, uh, to the extent that it was it was possible and so business did its did its job to do that I think it's a little bit um, uh, unfair to sit there and go right fine well you you kept all these people on in 2020 because we asked you to um, now because you've had a good 2021 we want some money back for that um, it doesn't sort of. Uh, I mean, I'm, at the end of the day, I'm a, an accountant. We try and match, you know, income against costs in the same in the same period. Um, uh, you know, it would if if it does gain any form of momentum, I think it would. You know, it's going to have to clearly go across the entire uh, business uh, world, um, uh, and would would cause quite a seismic change um, yeah. and a seismic restatement of results. It's an interesting point because obviously car dealers were having to pay extra on top of that furlough money as well that they wouldn't otherwise have been paying. They could have just said goodbye to those people and um, saved themselves even more cash. You know, and a lot of people who were changing the business model, really, as we've gone through um, uh, and uh, sort of COVID and, and then moved into click and collect and more remote selling, etc. They were changing the number of people that they needed in the, in the dealership and the skills that they needed. And in normal circumstances, some of the people who were the, um, you know, so the, the more traditional sales staff and now need to move into sort of customer service staff, they would have got rid of the sales staff and rehired a load of customer service people to deal mm. with, with the remote customer. They kept the salespeople on um, because that was what was um, uh, felt like morally the right thing to do to, to, to not make people unemployed in, the, in what was a very scary time um, uh, to then say, yeah, well, you've now made a load of money since then. So come on, mm-hmm. you know, pay some of that. Just, to, just doesn't feel fair to me. That's a good point. No. Yeah, agreed. Right. Shall we get going? Yeah, I will explain how the quiz works first. James and I have both chosen our five favourite stories of the week that have appeared on Car Dealer, and we don't know what each other have chosen. We're going to take it in turns to reveal our stories. I won last week and I am now leading 3-1, which is pretty much unheard of in podcast history. Uh, At the end, Mike has the final say on who is the winner. However, if you're listening on Spotify, you can vote for who you think had the best stories at the end by swiping up on the screen. Um, happy? Very. <laughs> um, so my first story this week is um, one of my favourite topics at the moment that's actually appeared twice on the website this week um, about LSH Auto having legal action taken against them because of a data hack of employee information, uh, which happened about six months ago, I think it was. Um, but their employers obviously aren't very happy about it. They say they were kept in the dark um, about what's happened. So 
they have taken legal action um, against them. I think it's an interesting story. We've mentioned a few times about these cyber hacks happening at dealerships, um, but not one with quite this uh, slant yet, where employees are the ones who are unhappy about it. Um, so I'd love to hear what you think about this, Mike, about cyber attacks and what should dealerships be thinking more about this? Uh, absolutely. I mean, ever since um, uh, GDPR um, uh, was you know, sort of um, uh, out in the in the uh, in the headlines, I was talking about the the risk to people, the potential fines that the businesses could have, but also not just the the fines that they might be um, uh, subject to, but the reputational damage. Um, you know, when mm -hmm. you're talking about customer data, um, or in this case, employee data. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it can cause a, cause a huge reputational damage as well as a massive financial hit. I mean, this is where one thing, given the way that the fine systems work, the, the turnover levels of the, um, uh, of the dealerships, um, uh, given the, the, the cost of each unit that they sell, um, will really hit them because, you know, the, the, the fines can be absolutely massive. Clearly, this isn't talking about the regulators getting involved in the regulation fine. This is a this is clearly an employee issue, sort of following on from a couple of others that, um, that have been reported in the press that uh, LSH have either reportedly had or not had with some of their technicians, etc. So, so no, I mean, I think it is, um, you know, I, I've always found with all these things, communication is key, keeping people involved, letting them know what's happened, letting them know what you're doing about it, letting it know what it really means is has got to be at the forefront um, uh, of managing um, uh, you know, the, the, the problems that they've had. I mean, we all, uh, I would imagine that LSH do the same as um, uh, everybody else and they've gone on the cyber training courses and we all know not just to click on links and, and um, uh, you know, respond to emails, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, cyber crime is massive from, a, from the criminal's point of view. It's, it's sort of, um, it, it's got less um, uh, scope for physical injury. And, and so it's just growing and growing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I, I can't see that stopping. This was um, well, the other story we had this week was one from Ivendi. We obviously talked about it with James Chew a few weeks ago on the podcast, but um, he was saying that it's even the risk of a cyber attack is even higher at the moment because of what's going on in the Ukraine and dealers really need to sort of switch on to it. I definitely think that it's something that people have got very little patience with as well. I mean, this week, Spotify stopped working for me. And <laughs> I, 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 I started. I noticed almost immediately that it wasn't working. It logged me out of everything. And I looked online, couldn't find anything. And literally 10 minutes later on Twitter, it was a trending topic with 1.1 million tweets in that short space of time. People, people really worry when stuff goes down and stuff gets broken. I mean, we've had problems with our website this week because of servers. And I think this, I think your point about the fact that the Russians are targeting businesses there is a very very real threat for this um so i think people need to be really really cautious it's it's mm -hmm. something that can happen and yeah I, I think we must point out that lsh said that they um they, they were victims of a very sophisticated mm -hmm. cyber attack and they take their security systems and that data extremely seriously and uh, they say they took immediate action to protect their protect their systems um, and got specialists in to investigate the incident so they obviously took it very seriously but mm, i think this, this is the thing with cyber attacks though is that they are just looking looking for one open door and that can be as you say mike simply someone clicking on a phishing email within your business and all of a sudden they've got a way in so it doesn't necessarily come down to actually the systems you've got in place it's a whole company wide thing isn't it 
Yeah, and the, and the dealerships rely on their systems to be mm. able to operate. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the number of um, integrated links, either with the brand or the DVLA, everything they do requires their systems. And so it is really quite, you know, if, if somebody can lock down all of their data and their systems, it does make it phenomenally, uh, phenomenally difficult for them to trade. Mm. Yeah. Right. I'm going to do mine, if that's OK. Yeah, go for my it. First. So my first one is a story this week about no win, no fee solicitors circling the motor trade once again. Uh, we've covered this topic before, but this is about finance commissions and the latest uh, issue is about uh, the, the FCA changed the rules earlier this year, uh, earlier, sorry, earlier last year about the disclosure of commissions um, and the dealers did have to disclose the fact that they were getting commission on deals. Shouldn't have been a secret anyway. I'm sure everybody knows that finance commission is paid to paid to dealers. Uh, but these these solicitors are looking to fill the, the gap left by the PBI scandal and they're sending out a number of letters to, to car dealers. I've heard, heard about it from a number of different contacts. Uh, logistics and uh, automotive compliance gave us some information for this, for this story. And it looks like these legal letters seem to come in three different ways. There's a, there's, firstly, there's a, a blanket approach letter that references an alleged lack of commission disclosure. Um, then there's a subject access request where they're asking for details of all previous finance agreements, something that's probably very worrying to, to dealers. And then lastly, the, the, the most worrying one is that a number of letters received are, are labelled as pre-court action. Now, none of these have gone to court yet, um, but there are some dealers who have settled, um, which is causing some issues. As you can imagine, uh, if it's if they if these sisters smell that they can get some money out of a, out of a dealer group, um, they're going to go fighting for for many more, and I think that's probably what's fanning the flames. So it is something to be very wary of, um, and there are firms out there that can help. You know, Logistics is fighting on the behalf of many of their many of their members, um, and there are other firms out there that can do the same. Mike, have you have you heard about this, and have you seen this problem with any of your your contacts? Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, there's, uh, um, we've had um, uh, ambulance chasing lawyers um, around the industry for, you know, as, as long as I've been involved in it, or as long as that's been a sort of a, um, uh, a, a thing. And no, they're absolutely going after disclosure of commission. Is a, you know, the, the, Disclosure of commission is a is a tricky one because you know lots of people would prefer not to disclose it and just let it become secret you know secret because it's a difficult thing to discuss. Whereas if it's fronted up to start with, um, uh, and it's explained in the right way, it goes down very well with the customers. I mean the, the other well, challenge that you've got from a from a customer point of view is you know well you know when when the brand does a um, customer satisfaction survey etc. The customer will quite frequently say they've not been told anything about anything despite the fact they've physically been on a test drive. They will have been you know they'll they'll respond that they haven't seen the vehicle and it's just like well yeah it, it, it's very difficult and that's where through it all of this making sure that the dealers have got proper records in the deal file as to what's been going on and everything's been properly signed off um uh, by the customer has all has been you know sort of mega important for um uh, for, for many years i see I saw it recently when i remortgaged the the, the mortgage broker was very upfront with the um with the information saying we will be paid this by the by the bank as well as the fee that you'll pay us for for arranging it but i didn't feel put out by it it's part of them doing their business i mean that is they're not doing it for free it's a business at the end of the day so i don't think people should be 
scared of explaining that they are paid commission. I mean, that's why they've run in those showrooms and it's how they can pay for the staff, isn't it, at the end of the day? But I think you just need to be upfront and, and open is what's, what's most important. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the, the number of, um, you know, we've, we've seen lots of lots of changes over the years from an FCA point of view as to what can and can't be sold at, at different at different points in time. And, you know, with the number of consumers that have moved over to PCP, PCH, you've not got as many traditional HP finance with variable rates being being agreed effectively as part of the sale and all bundled up and, and, and tied up together. It's a, you know, the industry sort of feels like it's moved on from this a little bit, but you're absolutely right. If the if the lawyers smell blood to a certain extent, then they will they'll go after the income. The difficulty from a dealer point of view and actually from the, the, the people representing them is frequently, you know, it'll just get put in the hand of the insurers. And in the nicest sense, if you, um, uh, you know, you might think you have an absolutely nailed on case, but sometimes, you know, they just decide to settle things um, mm. uh, to get it off their books. So it does make it a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit more tricky to deal with. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, that's my first one. Um, I'm very conscious last week we were told off by Chris about being really negative, but um, there's going to be another negative story from me. Um, this is the news we had this week. Um, it was actually came from an interview uh, Jack did with uh, the CEO of WarrantyWise about how the UK is heading for an EV servicing skills gap. Um, I mean, this isn't the first time we've heard this, but it does seem to be getting more and more press that this is a potential issue. So, Mike, do you think dealers need to be more worried about this and kind of more proactive so they're not at a disadvantage in the future? I think this is actually a positive story for dealers okay. um, uh, to a large extent. I mean, over over recent years, the dealers through the sort of brand relationships have been forced to get their tra their staff trained um, uh, to service EVs. They've been coming through. They've seen them way before the independent sector. Um, and we have seen a real lag in the independent sector actually getting trained up and certified because obviously you've you, you, um, uh, it's uh, you know dealing with uh, electricity is is dangerous. You quite mm. rightly need to make sure you've got the right training. And so I've actually hist uh, you know uh, I, I've seen there be a bigger lag among the independent sector than amongst the franchise sector with regards to getting trained up. Mm. You know it, it's also a um, it's a balance as well as to how these vehicles then flood into the sort of wider servicing market and when that happens. Um, uh, and it is a steady trickle. And for many, many years to come, the, the sort of UK vehicle park will still remain um, uh, ICU dominated. Um, you know, electric vehicles will, will take time to, to sort of uh, gain, a, gain a foothold in that. So I think you know, people have been balancing when they need to. But amongst the franchise dealers, they're, you know, as, as part of their agreements, the people, you know, the, the technicians have had to go off and be trained. Mm. There is a wider piece around the fact we've got a shortage of technicians. But yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, that's a, a recurring theme that we've been dealing with for quite a few years. Mm. It's um, we, we had another story this week about a shortage of MOT testers who are actually qualified for this new level of MOT testing as well. So it does feel a little bit like a perfect storm when it's coming to um, definitely, as you say, on the independent side. We'll be right back. You want the best return from your advertising budget and CarGuru's Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market, high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. 
Now, let's get back to the quiz. Right, I'm going for mine. Okay. Um, this one is a uh, special card dealer live I did uh, with Peter Smythe and Ajaz Ahmed, who was the founder of FreeServe. You may remember a couple of weeks back, Ajaz wrote us a blog um, for car dealer, warning that uh, disruptors could could be stealing customers' business. Uh, he wrote that car dealers need to stop using stupid arguments not to change and should embrace a new way of selling cars. Um, he said that these digital disruptors could kill off traditional car dealers, just like Amazon has done for the high street. Um, so uh, Ajaz founded FreeServe. Um, it was sold three years after launch for 1.65 billion. Uh, he now specializes in digital disruption. So we decided to put him up against a car dealer. Uh, and there was no better car dealers to speak up for uh, the industry than Peter Smythe, uh, formerly of the uh, podcast. He's uh, Swansway Group's uh, director. And they had a really interesting and lively debate. You can find it as a podcast um, if you're interested. It's on our Car Dealer Investigations channel. So search for that on your favourite platform or whatever you're listening to this on. Or you can see it on our website. Uh, it's also a video um, where the two of them go head to head. And I must say, it was it was very entertaining. It was nice to see both both sides um, come up with their, their different opinions. Uh, Peter really held his own for the uh, for the motor trade and made some fantastic points. As did Ajaz. I think they um, they probably agreed to disagree on some points, um, but it was it was interesting. It was interesting to see both their opinions. I don't know. Did either of you catch it? I know we only published it today. I was going to say I have um, uh, heard uh, Peter uh, um, vociferously defend the um, the role of the uh, the franchise or the, the physical dealer uh, before. He did. Uh, Peter was talked uh, extensively about Kazoo um, in, in the uh, in the podcast, um, and uh, he, he said that. He, he thinks they're going to wither on the vine. Was his uh, was his word? He um, he says that he he doesn't think they're going to he doesn't think they're going to take over. Um, whereas Ajaz thinks that that these guys are that might and um, might be able to um, might be able to really really put pressure on on, on existing car dealers. So if you haven't seen it or haven't heard it yet, like these two, <laughs> go and go go and check it out. But that's my second story. Very good. Um, you're quickly working your way through my stories, to be honest. Um, I picked out this one because I know that Mike is also an electric car driver. Um, and it was the news this week about GridServe dropping its exclusive rights to motorway services. And I know that you two will probably have something to say about that. You definitely do. You're playing to your audience, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, the, the, the thing for me is the we're sort of moving from a range anxiety issue to a charging anxiety issue, as in mm. I can map it out and I can know how I can get somewhere and I can work it all out. But the, the big issue for me is if I then turn up and the charger doesn't work, what the hell do I do? Exactly. I think, you know, there's a huge... Um, you know, the, the range of the vehicles for me, for the vast majority of people, is absolutely fine. Yeah, we you know I can do whatever, well over three hundred miles on a single charge, um, uh, on um, uh, in, in Sally's car, and that's absolutely fine. But I do need to be able to charge it when I get yeah. there. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you know, we're, she's got a, a Tesla, um, uh, and and their system is pretty reliable. And you know I can rock up and I see how many points are available, and and they I've not had an issue with them not working. 
um, the more sort of independent charging businesses. Um, uh, I, I know it's well, you, you're constantly playing musical apps, and that's mm-hmm. if you can get. Is it, you know, is it because the app's not working? Does the charger not work? It shows on Google Maps that it was broken last week, but then they fit. Oh, it's just yeah. Oh, it's woeful, wasn't it? It's absolutely woeful. <laughs> and um, I mean, I think that. I mean, why did they have a have an exclusive agreement anyway? I mean, the fact that that was even sorted in the first place annoys me. I mean, they, uh, what I'd like to see is on as you're driving down the motorway, a huge display board before you get to the service station that says 14 charging points, 10 being used, or 14 charging points, 14 available. You, we need that sort of information. We need to be getting there. We need to be getting there now. It's not catching up. Consumers are buying electric cars in their droves. Thirty percent of the cars sold last month were electric cars. You know that that change is happening now, and this problem is going to be the biggest problem just 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 down the road. It's ha- it, I, we speak to John Ray, who works for us. He's running a he's running an electric car at the moment that's got a 70, 80 mile range at best. He travels from Kettering down to Gosport to see us, which is two two and a, two and a half two and a half hours drive he has to stop three times and he's had to rely on on these um on these public charging points and they simply aren't good enough so it needs to be fixed and needs to be fixed quickly well i, I was abroad um uh, with my um uh, sonny was he was ski racing sort of the week before uh, the week before last and, and you drive around in the, on the continent and you see not only the price of fuel at that service station but also the price at the next three yes and exactly. that's really, you know, from a charging point of view, that's that's what we need with regards yeah. to. So, so that it gives you it gives you the confidence to go with that extra twenty miles because you know you'll be able to charge when you get there, rather than um, you know constantly having to, uh, to, to to worry about it. We also need more sort of destination charging as well. I think it's a, it's going to become a big differentiator for hotels. The extent, you know, the number of charging points that they've got and 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 how they and how they work. Um, uh, you know, in supermarkets, etc. Just we just need to really ramp that up because yeah. with, with everything that we've seen, um, uh, you know, the number and, and the petrol prices at the moment are only going to exacerbate it as they did during the last fuel crisis. You know, it's just accelerating the switch. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the supermarkets that... are definitely missing a trick, not having like banks of super of chargers where people can come along and charge whilst they shop because my friends who live in flats are constantly saying to me but i can't i can't get an electric car because i can't charge it anywhere near me and um yeah just a missed opportunity i think by so many people can we stop ranting about electric car chargers mm-hmm. it just make, it would just make me angrier um <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to go with a story that was published this morning uh, from james bachelor um he interviewed the boss of nissan uh, yesterday um, managing director andrew humberstone who said they've got no plans to introduce agency sales in the uk because he th- says it will disrupt their dealer network um he says they've, they're, what they're focusing on for 2022 and 2023 uh, is launching five new products, um, and that's where their uh, their focus lies at the moment. I think Batch pressed him on whether that means that agency sales could be introduced after 2023, um, and his response was time will tell. So I think that's a telling answer, isn't it, in some respects. I think no manufacturer boss uh, would say, on the record that they're definitely not going to do agency sales because pretty much we all know that they're coming um but i think that will that will 
please some Nissan dealers that, knowing that it's not going to happen for the next couple of years. They like to have a bit of certainty, and, and hopefully that story will give them some of that. My agency sales is talked about long and hard. What's your take on them? Yeah, I mean, I, I did actually read that one. Um, uh, so just that was I, I, I've got a fifty percent hit rate on the ones that you've launched this morning. So I suppose that's uh, that's good. <laughs> that works. No, I mean, I'm I'm spending a lot of time on agency. I'm working with some of the uh, the dealer networks on um, or the franchise networks on 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 what it means for them and 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 how they can negotiate it. It is. It is coming certainly for some brands. I mean, we've seen the likes of Suzuki and Kia come out and say that, that, that they're not playing. And obviously now you've added um, Nissan to that list, albeit it did very much feel as a, as a not yet. And we've seen quite a few brands effectively sitting and waiting to see what happens, um, uh, to see how, it's, um, uh, how it comes out. I'm still working on exactly what the benefit is to the consumer um, uh, and exactly how the dealers can take cost out of their model in order to be able to um, reduce the, the, the cost. You know, it's all about effectively taking 15% out of the distribution costs for the, for the brands. Um, you know, for that to work across the entire piece, the dealers need to be able to have a cost saving as well. And the danger is with some of the direct sale and unless the software and or everything integrates seamlessly, then the dealers are going to end up having to incur greater costs to then enter things into multiple systems so that you can buy from the brand while sitting in the dealership rather than just buy from um, uh, buy from them. So there's, there's still a, a way for it to go. Uh, I mean, in theory, you know, I, I like the idea of the customer having one price. Um, uh, I think it increases the transparency and, and um, uh, will help build trust. Um, which we've always struggled with as people have, have, have thought that they've been being ripped off. And, and clearly, you know, the Nissan dealers will sit there and go, brilliant, you know, we, we can just crack on with, with doing the job and, and, and selling the new vehicles that we've got um, uh, coming down the, down the pipeline. But I think your know, agency is coming. Um, uh, there are some um, undoubted benefits of it, um, but we still, I'm still sort of working through exactly what it means and, and how, uh, and how the dealer business model needs to change in order to be able to make sure they can still thrive and prosper. Do you think, in short, do you think it's a good or bad thing? I don't know yet. Um, I think it's being, I would have preferred it if it had come about because of a desire to improve the customer experience rather than a desire just to save cost. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a big as I said, a big positive potential from the customer point of view, if we do get to a one price across the board and, and then we can differentiate ourselves on service and that sort of stuff. So I think there are some customer benefits. I'm just slightly nervous because it's arisen from a desire to save cost. And if you're looking after the dealerships um, uh, and having more of a sort of a mind in that direction, the danger is that it's either coming out of their profit margins or there's fewer of them unless we can change the business model to help them save money as a result as well. Right, that's my third one. Over to you, Beck. But you've had, you've done all mine. Have I? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had I've the uh, no win, no fee, um, the Nissan one, which I would like to add. I was actually surprised that they said they weren't going to introduce agency sales. Um, and whatever other one you had. Uh, I had the no win, no fee, um, the debate. And oh, yeah, the, the debate. Nissan, no plans. So yeah. does that mean I get one more? Because I have got three more on my list. You have three more on your list. Well, yeah, we've got. Well, I've only done. Yeah, I just, I've always got an extra one. You know that. Um, let me just do one more because there's one that I wanted to talk about, which was um, was about the profits that um, consumers um, expected. 
car dealers to make. So I think a lot of people in the, the business get scared talking about the fact that they make money out of cars, um, especially when it comes to selling them. And I don't think that should be something you're scared of. You, as I mentioned before, you're in business for a reason. Um, I spoke to Paul Hendy from the Hendy Group and Umesh Samani from the Independent Motor Dealers Association for this piece. And both of them kind of explained that a lot of consumers just don't realise that, that the costs that are involved in running the dealership um, and in preparing those cars for sale. Um, so this piece came off the back of a, of a what car survey. Uh, they are 600 car buyers, uh, how much they, they expected car dealers to make on a used car sale. Um, the, the highest uh, percentage, 34%, was around 500 to 1,000 pounds. Um, second place, 26%, dealers made less than that, 200 to 500 pounds. And third place was 25% of buyers thinking that dealers make between a thousand and two thousand pounds. I'd be interested in who the five percent were who thought car dealers make them more than five thousand pounds on used car sale, but that's more to the point. But I just thought it was interesting that what, what the perception is versus reality. Um, because car dealers don't make that much money, Mike, do they, all the time on the on the cars that they sell? Uh, no, they don't, albeit they're making lots of money out of used cars and they, they always um, uh, sort of have done. I mean, historically, they made a £1,000 a unit irrespective of the price of the vehicle. Um, uh, that has now grown. And we saw in Virtue's announcement that they were up to, it was £1,846 a car. Mm. Um, uh, that they um, uh, that that they made, but again, you know, so my, my first query would be: Are, are we talk, are these consumers buying three thousand um, pounds used cars or sixty thousand pounds used cars? Because there might be a difference. And we yeah. we always, um, you know, what, one of the uh, my interview questions when I was interviewing people um, uh, back at um, uh, ASC was, you know, particularly graduates, you know, how, how much do you think the average dealer makes out of selling a, a new car? Um, and they would usually say about five or six thousand um, uh, pounds on, on the basis that, well, something's got to pay for all this shiny glass and, and metal and, and, uh, and the site, etc. Um, and we know clearly from a new car point of view that the dealers are making an awful lot less. And on a marginal basis, they were losing money selling the car until they actually sold enough of them to get their and get their bonus back. Um, uh, so, no, it, it, I think it's a uh, it's always interesting to ask consumers how much they think somebody should be making. Um, uh, and frequently, you know, I, I'm not sure they necessarily care as much as long as they think they're getting a fair market price and they're getting the car mm. prepped to the standard they want and they're getting a great service that explains all the features and benefits of the vehicle, um, then they're clearly willing to pay the price. Thank you. Right, that's my last one. Um, Mike, do you think we've missed anything this week then? Oh, there's always so much going on. Yeah. But no, I think you've. Um, uh, no, I think I think that's absolutely the the sort of main the main stories. You know, March is going to be very interesting as we go as we go through the month. I think the numbers are going to be you know very low. Um, uh, I think we continue to see that. And the, I suppose the only thing that you you, you have missed um, uh, would be clearly it was you know sort of International Women's Day. This week, and it's you know it is a continual um, uh, challenge for for me and everybody else to improve the the gender balance in in the industry. It is undoubtedly a massive benefit when we can get it right, um, uh, as we get four sort of more um, uh, females in the uh, uh, particularly in the operating divisions 
um, uh, you know, sort of set in sales and after sales, and, and, and more importantly, in the senior leadership of those bits. And, and um, uh, so, no, that would be the only other one that I would throw into the mix. It was good to see the industry sort of uh, very active on social media, etc., promoting yeah. opportunities um, uh, within the uh, within the industry. Yeah, it was nice. There was lots of people kind of shining a light on the different women working in their business, and I always think it's nice to hear those stories and put them in front of people and make them realize that the industry might not be exactly as they imagine it is. Yeah, it's, it's then counted <laughs> when you've got people wandering into showrooms and still being talked down to. So we've still got a yeah. way to go, but no, it, I, 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 I think it is a, it's a real benefit and it's great to see some businesses, you know, really sort of um, uh, trying to take a lead on that, uh, uh, on that front. Definitely. So who do you think had the best stories of the week then? Well, in, if, in volume, if nothing else, it had to be James. Yeah, um, <laughs> I knew I was going to lose this yes. one. Oh, no, oh, and I think this, you know, as I was gonna say, some of the some of the uh, some of the points are, um, I think are really important to um, uh, you know around agency and and the the impact of digital disruptors and stuff like that. Clearly, you know we're. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm passionately of the view that dealers do have a, a role and we just need to let the customer wander back and forwards digitally and physically as they want to. Um, uh, so I don't think that Kazoo will wipe, wipe the dealers out, but I think as a result of, of those guys plus COVID, the industry's got a lot better at digital. So I think that, you know, sort of those two things are very much high on my agenda at the moment. So uh, so sorry about that. But uh, yeah, James gets... Don't apologise. Mike, do not <laughs> apologise. Thank you very much. The Three, competition two. is hotting up. Yes, I'm starting to claw some back. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Mike. It's been great to talk about all these topics with you. Oh, brilliant. Thank you very much for having me on, as always. Uh, we will be back again next week with another podcast, so don't forget to subscribe and you'll be notified when the new episode goes live. For those listening on Spotify, don't forget you can swipe up now and vote for your winner too. If you want to find out more about any of the stories we've mentioned today, you can click the links in the show notes below or you can head over to cardealermagazine.co.uk and scroll down to the podcast section. Thank you again and until next time, goodbye.